How you doing? It's all good, man. Uh, thanks for coming on, talking to me for uh, about an hour or so. And pronounce your name for me so I don't say it wrong. Yeah, yeah, no worries. It's uh, Wesley Lakus. So, Last name's always the hard one. <laughs> Wesley Lakus. Um, yeah. And this is the EricSwanRacing.com podcast. Well over 100, I think maybe 110s. Uh, something like that. So uh, I'm losing track because I already have some of them are published, but some of them I still need to edit in the queue. So it gets uh, confusing, but uh, yeah, thanks for, for coming sure. on. And we met at Pittsburgh just a couple of weeks ago and um, you were racing. Is it the twins cup? Yeah. So I was in the twins cup. Yeah. And that's okay. a pretty cool track. Uh, tons of elevation, pretty unique in that it's uh, so dramatic in that first sector. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like butter smooth and yeah, those, those first couple corners are nice. You know, you get a nice wheelie over the top of a uh, turn two or three. Yeah. Two the wheelie uh, hill. Yeah. 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 So that's all. It's a, it's a fun, tr super fun track. Definitely. And there's certain organizations that uh, discourage wheelies, but you can't not wheelie at some parts of these racetracks. Oh yeah. No, nah, I mean, yeah, it's just <laughs> inevitable. It's just going to come up. So <laughs> So you're in favor of the wheelie. What's your thought on the wheelie? Um, I think there's a right time for it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's, that's, there's some more to be said there, but yeah, I mean, I think realistically, like, yeah, you should be able to do wheelies just, you know, don't, don't be doing crazy stuff. Yeah. Don't be unsafe. And actually most of yeah. the time wheelies slow you down. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, an actual race. Yeah. You don't want to like legit wheelie yeah you'll go super slow <laughs> it's uh not a benefit everybody's always like oh you ride oh do a wheelie oh i know <laughs> yeah you know it's like oh yeah like people are doing that to get you to wheelie and stuff but <laughs> yeah definitely normal. yeah yeah not not something you want to do all the time that's for certain um and so uh, tell me about the bike you're riding what kind of machine you're running and do you think that's uh best for the class or do you wish you had a different one yeah, so uh, right now I'm on the Aprilia, the RS660. Um, overall, I think it's a really solid platform. Um, I think that the chassis is pretty good, makes good power. Um, but I will say, like, the development they've been doing on the R7 now, it's seeming like the R7 is a pretty, pretty good contender. Um, we'll see for next year if uh, the regulations change or not. But honestly, with the development that the y Yamahas are, well, the teams that are running the Yamahas have done. Uh, I'm thinking the R7 is a little bit more competitive um, just because they really could do whatever they want with the motor where uh, on the Aprilia, we're like a little bit more uh, locked in and in, in what we can actually do with the bike. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, these last few rounds, Yamaha has pretty much been taking most of the <laughs> top 10. Uh, so hopefully they change some of the regulations for that. Um, so we'll see if, if things stay the same, I think the R7 will still be pretty dominant. Um, but you know, with the right rider, the Aprilia is still, still very competitive. So. Yeah, it's cool to see kind of a new platform emerge. And, uh, is there anybody really developing that Aprilia like they, like they are the Yamaha? Is there anybody making parts for it or making new, new things? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, um, I mean, even a couple, couple teams in the paddock who are still like actively riding and developing the bike. You know, you have, um, Veloce who has their, um, two riders, uh, Caleb and Jody, and then you have Robum, which has, you know, Gladian and Teague. Um, so, you know, they're obviously all top 10 contenders and 
in some cases in you know in the championship or taking first place so it's it's definitely like a, a platform that's getting active development um as far as parts go i mean again we're super restricted in a lot of ways so you know there's there's only so much you can do i think there's definitely a handful of people who are making parts but they're like in italy <laughs> you know for some of the more important things and so that makes it a little tougher for getting parts um but other than that, yeah, I mean, I, I know Robum has a bunch of really nice kind of things they've developed and, and, and Woodcraft and a couple others for a lot of the bits and pieces you'd need to, to make the class legal. So it's almost seems like it's turning into a uh, like a SV twin superbike class. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's always been like a, a, a builder's class, like from my perspective, especially with the SVs. I mean, the last couple of years, I mean, even you had people building out the FZ07s, too which is basically the R7 now, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like it's always been kind of a super bike class where everyone's building it as far as they can go, so. For sure. It's uh, just see where the development goes. It's interesting that uh, Moto America is trying out these new classes. They're trying, they say they're trying, they're trying to stick to World Superbike spec, but uh, World Superbike doesn't have a twins class or a bagger class. Um, yeah. It's kind of different. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I think it's super funny um, what they're doing. I mean, at the end of the day, I think, you know, whatever brings people in and watching, I, I think that's pretty cool. Like at Laguna, when we were basically almost sold out, I think we were sold out for yeah. a couple of days. Like that was insane. That was such a cool experience. Um, and I really think like the bagger class and even the hooligan class bring a lot of those people, which is really, really cool. Um, it's unfortunate that racing motorcycles isn't as big here as it is elsewhere, but um, you know, I think to get people in the door and excited about racing again is, is definitely like a really cool thing to see. Um, but yeah, they definitely deviate. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, I mean, those, the, um, uh, the bagger bikes or whatever they're out there. I mean, they're hardly baggers, you know, like everything's custom and bespoke on those things. I think it's hilarious to watch them race. Like they just look terrifying <laughs> to, to ride like that, but you know, uh, you got to kind of adjust, I suppose. So, and it seems like it's for working out pretty good. Yeah, for sure. You know, I just did uh, working an event as a track marshal this past weekend uh, at the Bagger Racing League, the Milwaukee Mile, Wisconsin. Um, okay. And that was a whole class of baggers and, you know, different, different classes within the baggers. But um, maybe five or six different classes were out there. And uh, it was just Great to see a whole different set of people. You also had some professionals come out there. I think it was Shane Narbone, I want to say. I saw Jason Farrell. He was doing tires. He wasn't riding that I saw. Yeah. But um, also Corey West, Patricia Fernandez, and a whole slew of other super fast people. And uh, oh, yeah. it's just great to see a different crowd, different set of faces, a whole new track I'd never been to. I think that was the first time they used that for in like 35 years for motorcycles. Um, Jeez. so it was kind of like a test run, uh, but it was a full race weekend, you know, it wasn't a test at all. Um, it's just, they haven't done it in a while. So they were setting up air fences and, uh, I was helping out with some of those and they also have, uh, imposed a new chicane or they put, uh, installed a new chicane. Um, that's kind of like just curbings. And I don't think many people like those because you hit them. They're just like Pittsburgh. I think you hit them, oh, they're, yeah. they're, but these are rubber and they can move. So I was working turn six or what we call turn six because we use the infield and then part of the banking. Um, but they slow them down with the chicane before they get in the banking. And uh, about every race or every other race, 
when the race is done, I'm going out there on my supermoto and fixing the chicane and then getting back to my corner in like 30 seconds. So uh, it was cool that I get to ro- ride my bike in between sessions on the racetrack. I like that. Yeah, that's but, cool. Uh, it was uh, not the best solution, I'd say. One of the riders was telling me, I would rather go into that corner at 140 miles an hour rather than go through that stupid chicane um and then you know come arrive slower into the corner because it's safer it's a banked corner there's no runoff you know there's a wall there there's there's only an air fence on the exit of the corner it's like what about the rest of the wall (laughs) oh yeah no yeah exactly uh that sounds like they ran out of air fence or something (laughs) i mean they had a bunch of them but it's it's a dangerous track the way it's laid out and they're not even using the full infield because on the if the it's kind of like a mini daytona so uh, the horseshoes the horseshoes just don't have enough runoff there ah okay i i got you so it's an interesting facility it was cool to go to a new venue it'd be cool to ride it i don't know that i want to go 100 percent at a place like that yeah walls on exits doesn't sound great yeah what do you think about riding like the northwest 200s or the isle of man type stuff is that even in your radar if you got Uh, a potential opportunity or you're like no way i can't do it oh hell yeah i'll do that (laughs) actually it's funny you say that i I was actually just talking to a buddy um about trying to do isle of man next year we'll see they're on there uh they have the super twins class now which is so it's you know they upped it up. So now we can run the six sixties and the R sevens and stuff. So I'm actually looking at seeing what it's going to take to get that done. I might have to do some preliminary stuff to even be able, I might not be able to race it next year, depending on how it goes, but yeah, uh, for sure. It's on the bucket list. Like that's a dream. If I can do that, you know, I mean, it's, it's an insane course. It's like, I mean, it's one in the world. Right. Um, but yeah. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. I'd I'd race that. No problem. So then if you'd race fast, if you'd but... race Isle of Man, then you could argue then you could race anywhere because it's just a different mentality. If you're going to a dangerous corner, you just know you can't lay it down in there. You you have to be a little bit more careful. You might be leaving some time on the table, maybe slightly different body position, uh, depending on the surface or conditions. Um oh yeah. More neutral, right? You're not going to hundred percent, you're just trying to get through the corner. Yeah, uh, I I totally agree. I think it's a totally different mentality. Yeah, because at the end of the day it's it's more important to be consistent and finish than it is to crash in a really bad section, which does happen, unfortunately. But yeah, I feel like it's a different mindset for sure to be yeah. able to do stuff like that. So I've always thought, man, I, I would only do that if I didn't crash for like five seasons in a row. Like, <laughs> I mean, think about how, how safe yeah. you'd be after that. I mean, uh, you're just uh, listening to your bike and what it's telling you, not going over those limits. Oh yeah, hundred percent. That's why I feel like, if I could run like the 660 or something, I would feel pretty confident and comfortable because now I have a lot of seat time, you know, unfortunately I have a lot of crashes. So, (laughs) you know, it's like, I know what it can do and what it can't do. And, you know, I'm not, and I'm not like super opposed to like riding on like uh, basically a road surface. Yeah. That's not really a racetrack. Um, I think that it, it's just a little bit more dynamic, but like you said, you just kind of pace yourself and, and, ride within like what your limits are so yeah so uh isla man's on the list um are you doing any more of the rounds for the season what's what's your season look like oh yeah so we got new jersey coming up this week um and then it's just alabama uh which is like a week later (laughs) so yeah i'm gonna finish out the season uh this year um it was it started off with only supposed to uh, i was only supposed to do 
two rounds and I was like just to kind of figure it out figure out what I needed to make a full season happen and then you know just like oh one more one more one more oh you're halfway you might as well go the rest of the way so yeah it's a full season this year which has been I mean super awesome super lucky to be able to uh, make that happen and then hopefully a full season next year is the goal to put that together now that I have all the development and the experience at all these tracks and all these things. But yeah, finishing out the season. Uh, so got to leave in like a couple days, which will be fun Heck for yeah. Jersey. And um, are you on your own team? Have you developed your own team or are you on another team? Uh, yeah, so I'm a privateer. So basically uh, <laughs> my team consists of whoever can help me uh, <laughs> that, that particular weekend. Um, I do have a race team that I am like affiliated with uh, who – uh, luckily we'll be there next weekend, which will be cool, which is RSP racing. Um, and so we'll have the whole, t- most of the team there uh, to help out, which will be fun. Um, but yeah, it's uh, definitely the privateer kind of show up, figure it out as you go, uh, you know, ride, just try to get on the track and, and qualify and ride and stuff. Um, but I'm hoping next year I can put together something a little bit more solidified uh, and consistent because it's definitely, there is a, I mean, this level of racing is much higher than the club level. Uh, and even though you have less track time overall and less racing, it's far more um, development and, and like learning how to go fast. And I think that's really attributed by having a set crew as well. Like it's not, this is like a team sport. It, oh, it, yeah. it transfers from being like an individual sport to a team sport real quick. Um, and that's pretty evident, but um, I've been super thankful to have uh, a lot of like uh, help uh, from everyone in the paddock. I mean, everyone's just in general, the community as motorcycle communities are is super, super cool. Um, but yeah, pretty much do whatever I can to get by. So. Awesome. It's cool to see that. Uh, I think most people are in the same position that you are. Most people do not have a dedicated team. They just kind of, uh, I wouldn't say fly by the seat of their pants because it seems rude, but you know, it's, it's not as, as well thought out as most people think it's like, Hey, do you have a free weekend this weekend? Okay. This guy can do it this weekend. I need someone else for the next round. And then there's always a different level of, uh, competency too. Some people are just good with taking uh, off the tire warmers, doing those kind of things. Some people can do a full motor swap in a half hour It's vastly different capabilities. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I mean, some of these teams have like dedicated data people and, you know, like suspension and mechanics and you're like, yeah, I got one guy, you know, he's <laughs> my buddy. He can, he can take the stands off and warmers off. Right. Um, definitely totally different ball game. So, so I have, uh, earned my professional license for Moto America super sport class in back in 2015, but I've always been too broke to use it. So tell me what it's like, uh, going to your first round and uh, all the new things that you, uh, experienced. Oh my God. Yeah. So my first round was this year at Daytona. Um, and, uh, I had, I went to Daytona in October the year before. So luckily I had a little experience there. Um, but pretty much like I showed up, I'd never ridden the bike, the Aprilia had just gotten finished being built and it had like eight miles on it. Literally never tested. I haven't tested anything at this point. And so I'm just like, oh crap, my, you know, first practice session, I'm going to go out and blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, if you recall Daytona, Daytona, we had like really bad weather. Um, so we didn't really get a lot of seat time. Um, if I remember correctly, I think our practice either got shortened to like five minutes or canceled or something like that. But basically yeah. we got like almost no time to really do any development. I and, think we had a uh, lightning delay. Yeah. Lightning delays too. High yeah, winds. Yes. Yeah. It was a whole thing. Um, and, uh, 
when I first hopped on the bike, the suspension was awful. Like, um, I couldn't even turn the thing. It was, it was so raked out and like, so just wrong that it would, it was like, no matter how hard you would toss it, like you're like yanking it as hard as you can. It just moved at like a fixed speed. Like you're carrying a <laughs> sandbag. And I'm just like, this thing is unrideable. It's so bad. And just basically managing because Daytona's super long, just hold the throttle open. Like you'll be fine. You know, just make it through kind of thing. Um, and yeah, luckily I had a couple people that were down there to give me a hand and I went through and, you know, we're slowly making some changes and making a little development. Um, and then it's just like race time, you know, it's like, okay, you got like 30 minutes on track and it's like, all right, you're going to go do your first race. And I, if I remember correctly, it was a double header. Um, but that first race, like a ton of people crashed. Uh, there was like an oil spill on the back section of the chicane and there's like so many people that crashed. Um, which was just like insane on its own. Cause it's like, you're going and then like, you know, it's like four or five people crash and you're like, all right, we'll go around more, like two more people crash. And you're just like, holy crap. Like, all right, let's just keep it together. So um, it was definitely like a really cool experience. I met a lot of really cool people that round um, as well. Uh, Cause you know, I didn't know anyone. Um, but I will say that uh, if anything, I really learned like, I learned how to make, uh, expensive mistakes <laughs> is what that comes down to. I, I didn't crash at Daytona, but you know, we finished, uh, finished out pretty strong and I finished in the points, which was really cool for the first race. Uh, that's not bad in my opinion. I had yeah, a good race 15. as well. Yeah. Top 15. Um, if I, I, <laughs> one of the mistakes I made though, I actually, uh, uh, got DQ'd for the first race, which would have been another top 15, but, uh, I didn't realize that, you could only run the compounds that Dunlop brought. So I was running like a different compound in the front. So I got, I got DQ'd and I had oh, no, no idea. I was just like, oh <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, like, they have to, uh, they use a tire allocation stickers. And if you're not, uh, and they check, they actually, uh, they have someone at pit out uh, looking yeah. at every, everyone, or maybe they're doing it on the grid or different times. But um, yeah, it's uh, supposed to be spec tire, spec fuel, um spec class with you know different modifications here and there that are allowed and uh they want you to buy their tires <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly so uh made that mistake right like again it was it's really like for me it's just making those mistakes and learning right because at the end of the day like i'm not professional at like i have to be out there and win right i don't have some contract where i you know need to perform a certain level like i'm doing it for fun uh, and, you know, seeing how far I can go. But yeah, it was definitely like a, a huge learning weekend for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was super fun. And I met a lot of really cool people that weekend. So. And so what's the minimum amount of crew that you have to have? Is it one person? Is it two? Is it more? Well, minimum is one. Okay. Uh, like you need, need, absolutely need one. Ideally, you have three. Two is good. Um, but yeah, two you can pretty do okay with. But yeah, three is a, like the perfect amount um one you're gonna have a rough weekend is what it <laughs> yeah. comes down to like it's it's hard to be everywhere all at once because there's a lot of logistics running around especially with uh tire windows and stuff like you can't just bring your tires over whenever you want you gotta get tires changed at a certain time but you also have to like do that work you gotta take wheels off so um i definitely mechanic quite a bit um just because it's out of necessity depending on how many hands i have for the weekend yeah and uh are you doing maintenance at the track too, or do you try to get that done before rounds or changing oil sometimes at the track? Yeah. I mean, so I'm, I'm in the, uh, I was driving to all the rounds 
um, at the for the first half of the season. Um, and then I decided I did not want to drive back to the East Coast from the West Coast and then back again. I was like, forget that. So now I'm uh, having someone transport, which means I have to do all my maintenance Thursday. So that's like oil changes, like pulling, you know, I actually this weekend I have to like swap radiators and, you know, do all that and like pull the front end, and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. So we do all the maintenance there. And luckily I haven't been crashing. So it's not as bad. It used to be I'm like, <laughs> cutting body work till two in the morning like you know trying to get the bike together because it's mangled from the last round uh, but yeah it's pretty much get it all done on thursday which is honestly like once you figure out your program and what you're doing and you've kind of got most things settled it's not terrible uh, but it's far from you know uh, having a team of three mechanics fully disassemble the bike almost you know or you know whatever like it, it's good enough it gets us through you know so yeah, and it's like a, a traveling circus. I mean, you got to carry everything with you, all your parts, all your tools, all your spares, and uh, just be able to pop any pop up anywhere in a parking lot, and just that's your pit for the for the weekend. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Now, do you prefer being in the garages, or do you have a big enough canopy footprint that you can be outside? Um, I mean, I can run a canopy. Um, I usually try to get a garage though. Um. Uh, just because it does make things logistically a little easier. Um, you don't really have to do a lot of setup, which is nice. Um, and then you're also more sheltered from, um, you know, changing weather conditions. If it's super windy or raining, like it pit when it was raining and whatever else, like it's really nice to have a proper garage with power and all this stuff. And you're not running you know, your generator and, all these other things. But yeah, I usually try to get a garage. Uh, like I'll be in a garage in New Jersey, but then like Pitt doesn't have one. So, right. Or they have very few or, uh, available. I mean, not Pitt, sorry. Uh, Alabama. Yeah. Uh, Barber. Barber. Right. I didn't see any garages available. But yeah, Pitt, I was in garages at Pitt as well. So that's came in real handy. So. For sure. I was, uh, yeah, for a moment there, uh, trying to find some shelter. I'm like, I don't have shelter. I have a tent. <laughs> yeah. I'm on a motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, did you you just rode in and well, and I uh, I put it in the back of my truck because uh, that way you can bring a cooler and you know a um, lot yeah, more yeah, stuff yeah. and kind of it's more luxury when you can do that. Um, but I do have uh, ability to be a backpack camper. Um, but I brought the big tent. Okay. Big tent's easier. It's a sixty second setup. Um, oh, the small yeah. one, you know, it takes fifteen minutes or something. Yeah, forget that. You just <laughs> pop it up. That sounds way nicer. Yep, done. Um, yeah, some people, I love it. I, they can get there an hour before me. They're still setting up and, uh, 30 seconds after I, I, I stopped, uh, I parked my car. I'm already set up halfway, you know? <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. It's great. Um, so I'll be going to New Jersey and Pittsburgh. I've been hitting six out of 11 of the rounds this year for Moto America as a track marshal, flag marshal, uh, whatever they need, two separate positions, flag marshaled one with the flags in his hand. Um, okay. track marshal is one out there picking up bikes, um, or whatever needs to happen, loading bikes on trailers and things like that. Oh, that's a, yeah, that'll be fun, man. That'll be really cool. That's one thing I've never done is like track marshal or anything like that or flagging. Well, Sounds you don't like have to do it for Moto America. If you're riding, you know, I can't, um, can't ask you to ride or to flag yeah. if you're riding. But That'd be impossible. You could do another weekend, like an amateur round for CCS or Wera or Arma. Yeah. Or I just did Bagger Racing League. 
So there's a lot yeah. of opportunities to do it. Um, and you can make money doing it. Now, the biggest ones like Formula One, MotoGP, IndyCar, a lot of the car racing organizations do not pay a dime. So that's like just purely volunteer. Oh, really? So, but the motorcycle ones typically do pay. Um, so the the last uh, couple of weekends and the next couple of weekends, I'll be doing it every weekend. Um, so sometimes it's like $140 a day. I think it was 450 for three days for the beggar racing league. So even for me driving from Michigan to Wisconsin, yeah, I still, I still make money. Um, it's free camping. I don't, I never get a hotel. So that way you, you save more or you make more, however you look at it. Yeah. No, it sounds like a, that sounds like a cool, uh, cool gig for sure. Uh, especially cause like if you, you know, you get to, especially for like something like the baggers where you get to just basically watch them. I mean, you have to be attentive and pay attention and stuff, yeah. but it sounds like it'd be a definitely a, a cool experience to have best seat in the house i mean you're yeah. you're right there there's no barrier uh visually in front of you i mean you're you're um behind some sort of structure but um like you're out there you could step two feet away and now it's you're open you know so it's yeah. uh you have to be smart and uh know what's going on like you said pay attention what people don't realize, I think is interesting is, you know, you're watching MotoGP or Formula One, all these major organizations, they have GPS of where the car or the bike is at every point of the track. It's like pinpointed. You can see it on a map. They even show it sometimes um, as a cool feature. They do not have that in any other organization, including Moto America. Um, it, they only, huh. what they do, I don't know about Moto America, what they have in their tower, but what yeah. what marshals do for every organization is we call around the last bike to clear the track. So like once once the checker flag flies and everybody goes through, then the start says clear. Then one says clear once the la last bike has passed your station, almost to the next one. So we're clearing the track, making sure it's cold before emergency vehicles go out and pick up bikes or ambulance or whatever the situation is. Um, or if I need to go out and reset cones, we have to clear the track before we do that. Otherwise, you're in a situation where there's could, someone could be coming at 150 miles an hour, and now you're on the racetrack. You know, it creates problems. So um, yeah. you always got to clear the track. But I find it interesting that race control really doesn't know where all the bikes are. We have to c call around with the radio system every time. Um, that is really strange. And so like, it's just unique. You don't realize that as a racer, what's going on and what things are happening yeah. or, or who's forgetting their transponder time and time again. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, one of the things I, I, I think is kind of cool is uh, my laps. Uh, if I recall their new stuff has this capability, like you can get systems that will do all this tracking. But then uh, one thing I thought was really cool is you can hook it into data. So you can actually get data as well. I mean, obviously that's a totally different level of like, you know, I think they do that in F1 to find cheaters and stuff like that. Right. <laughs> um, but what was cool is that you could pump like yellow flags or red flags into the dashes, into the dash system, which I thought was really unique. I mean, obviously the light system is really good compared to like, say the club level of just red flags and corners like that light system. And, and just for context, the light system is just all these lights every hundred feet or something like that that blink red on red flags. Like it's so hard to miss those. Like it's like uh, the back of an ambulance. It's super bright. They're yeah. LED boards, um, almost blindingly bright, especially in the mornings when it's you know, oh, yeah. blackout, it's pitch, pitch dark. And uh, yeah, it's really cool. The developments that are happening. I think in the future, 
We're going to have uh, the same thing that you're talking about, the light system in your car or on your vehicle. But even if it's on your dash, you're not looking at your dash most of the time. You're, you're, yeah. It's completely out of your vision. But um, maybe if they had some helmet um, like uh, holograms going on, so it's yeah. not distracting, you can still see it through it. It's like a transparent somehow. Um, but it'll shoot like a message on your visor, like yellow flag or something. I don't know. Um, I think that'd be a cool, um, a cool feature. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think they should adopt the new technology though. That way you can get better tracking around the track. Cause like one of the things would be cool too, is if you could take that data and make it presentable. That's one thing I always, you know, as far as if you wanted to like really watch, you know, you really only have the camera feed and then, you know, lap timers information, which is only so good. But if you had like a better visual of where people are at the track and, and what's going on with their bike and the ability to kind of, I think what would be really interesting is like yeah, MotoGP, they, they kind of do this stuff where they'll give you all the telemetry on the, the broadcast. Um, but yeah. I think what they don't do is they don't allow you to go. I mean, obviously for, for that level of racing, probably for a reason, but you can't just go watch an individual person. I think that would be cool. You know, if they had some ability to like, get more context around like the individual or like, you know, if you want to watch so-and-so ride or whatever, cause at the end of the day, like the coverage is going to be the front pack, you know, and that's usually the top three, uh, yeah. depending on how far everyone is from each other. But, uh, definitely would be, I think a, a good shift, um, to get a little bit more flexibility and like what you want to kind of look at. But, oh, for sure. Like the F1 experience TV, you can like look at different cameras and, uh, watch the the aerial view or the turn six view or a specific rider or driver. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, to, that's cool. To be able to broadcast your own data, uh, like they don't allow you to run GoPros or anything like that because they have um, they have permissions or they own the rights to that, that content. So they're very secretive or very uh, strict, I guess you say, up, about um, recording and the use of that footage. But I think it would be also interesting because – you know, I'm, I'm in kind of the same boat you are, where I would not be front pack, get just getting into professional motorcycle racing. Nobody is gonna no, be, no. Um, <laughs> no. unless you're like a Joe Roberts figure. You know, first yeah. race he wins everything. So, um, it's like there could be several races, um, uh, made out of one race. You could have like the front pack, the normal race that they just mostly talk about yeah. the, the leaders. You could have a mid pack race where they yeah. look at all the footage again and re edit for a mid pack race, you know, and then they that could have so like cool. a, a tail end race or a back marker race. Like, well, look, yeah. he's getting lapped again. Like, uh, he's, he got out of the way good though, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, no, hundred percent. Cause all the, it irritates me that sometimes they never even mention this person's name. I mean, he just yeah. drove halfway across the country. He did his best race ever. He had his, you know, fastest lap after fastest lap for him. Um, he improved over yeah. his personal best. He was three seconds faster than he was in qualifying, all this stuff. They didn't even mention his name. I'm like, that's kind of rude. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, they do that to, like, even some of the fast guys, they do that sometimes, where it's like, uh, I think, what is it, last round? Oh, I forget who. Oh, I feel bad now. Anyways, they like someone broke the track record or something like that. They like didn't even really talk about it or cover it. Like I, I don't know. I guess they're trying to build their storylines for whatever else they're trying to do. But yeah, I think really like they have the footage. If they had, if it somehow added to their viewership, I mean, 
I would pay a, a premium to be able to see myself race the whole race. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. imperative data. I mean, and honestly, not having that camera footage, camera footage is such good learning material um, to not be able to do that too, just as from a perspective of learning and getting better and faster. Like that's also really unfortunate. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I thought I would love to see something like that. I think, I think there's definitely an opportunity to capture some like additional value uh, and potential you know, viewership and whatever else. So, I mean, and how hard would it really be is you already have all the footage. You just need someone yeah. who's good at editing to splice it all together. And it doesn't even have to be perfect. I've thought for a while, like I could start a film company and just, I'm already going to these racetracks anyways. Um, but I'm, but I'm thinking like most of these cameras that they use are a hundred thousand dollar broadcast cameras, oh, like yeah. HD, mm -hmm. you know, they can just stream immediately um, to their, to their, truck and it's all put together and they have a team of people who are like editing and splicing and directing and doing different things so yeah. you don't need to go that production quality your no. my cell phone is a 4k camera that's better than any camera that i've ever bought um, yeah so it's like this is with my laptop you don't need anything super high tech um i just started using a microphone recently just i think this is the first podcast i'm using it with uh on, on my show so um oh that's cool trying things out but my point is you don't need to go over the top with it you can start small and just have cameras on a ro rotating thing um every every time a bike goes by it just follows that bike you know just resets yeah. follows that bike i mean or have a person there just standing there with the tripod just you know moving it but just like uh, Formula One, they use volunteers. I'd have to start out with volunteers. Like, who wants to help grow this? Let's get some amateur race footage. Yeah. Um, because they have, you know, amateur, all kinds of sports on TV. They have bag toss on TV. Like, you, you're you telling me there's not a place for, for Wera to have uh, TV coverage? Oh, yeah. I mean, I really wanted to pursue this, actually, for to be able to cover, like, the club level even. Um, I think... The biggest issue was some of the tracks, it was hard to get like enough bandwidth to be able to like upload a stream. I mean, I guess it's different if you're actually like working with the track and some of them are just in the middle of nowhere, but that's different with like Starlink and stuff now. But yeah, I, I don't think it would be that terrible to do. But a lot of these systems, like you can use, uh, you can even use like, you can set up a basic wireless network. Sorry to get into like a little technical stuff. Oh, that's but, what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you could use like a basic wireless kind of network setup, like a mesh network, right? So you just need power and then they need to all link back somewhere. And then you could run a bunch of like, uh, you know, uh, IP cameras, like basic cameras that you find in any security, so like newer security system. And they make nice ones. Um, and then you could basically do the same thing. You could bring all those feeds back into a single place and then do your directing and upload them. Uh, or live stream them, whatever you'd want to do. But it's it's really not terrible to do. And even then, like, even if you had three cameras, three cameras at any track <laughs> is, like, most of the track. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, give or take. But it, it definitely seems like it would be really cool and not super high cost to do. But, again, it's, like, how do you – it would definitely be a volunteer thing, right? It would definitely be an yeah. out-of-pocket thing. It would have to it's start out that way. But I mean, yeah. so it's the thing is, if you have a good enough idea and you can get in front of the right people, you can get just about anything funded. Yeah. Right? So it That's doesn't always have true. to come from your own money. Like, um, I don't know who, who would be interested in that, but I'm trying to 
you know, trying to go down that route. And I would love to do broadcasting. Like I'm trying to get better at public speaking. Yeah. I always watch races anyway. So why not get paid to talk about it? <laughs> yeah. Why not? Yeah. I mean, Hey, if you're, if you're looking to do that, I mean, you know, my background is super technical in nature and I have looked at this before too, cause I really wanted to do it. If you need a set of hands or whatever, like I'd be happy to do something there. Cause yeah, I think, I think getting people interested in racing is a proponent of getting, making it more accessible and being able to watch it makes it accessible, right? Like that's the most accessible thing. Like if I can just oh, go yeah. watch it and see what it's about rather than having to drive four hours, like who's going to drive three and a half hours into the middle of the desert to go watch an amateur race. <laughs> Very Basically, few people, no just a family yeah. and friends and maybe some exactly. super hardcore fans, but yeah. the general public doesn't even know that there's a racetrack over there. Yeah, exactly. So like to make it more accessible in and in like a more modern platform is what I would say, like a modern way. Of, it's, I mean, I'm just sitting on my couch. And I'm like, oh, let's see what this is about. Right. And I actually think the amateur racing is the most exciting because it's just you don't know what you're going to see. Right. Like there's so many different skill levels out there that you don't know what's going to happen. Um, it's like always like a, a toss up unless like, you, you know, it depends what organization you're racing with. But I, I find that the amateur racing could be pretty exciting to watch sometimes. So Yeah. And it's just people like you and me, they. You know, I went to a beggar racing league over the weekend, and one of the guys I was talking to said it was his third event ever. Like he did, um, yeah. this is the third time he's been to the racetrack with his motorcycle, and now he's racing in the beggar racing league. Like you don't have to have this, you know, top-notch race bike. He was just his street bike that he converted. He took off the license plate and the turn signals. He like had a few modifications, um, less than a thousand dollars spent on the on the mods, I'd say. Yeah, and he's out there racing. I mean, he's He's not going as fast as some other people, but he's out there. He's learning. He's getting that seat time. And that's where you got to start. You, you're not going to start at um, at a pro level. You just build up from where you are. I think I might have lost your feed there for a sec, oh, but there yeah, you're back. Yeah, that wasn't too long. Yeah, I'm back. Sorry about that. <laughs> All good. So, yeah, I was just saying, you know, it's great to see new people into the sport. And uh, he's out there having fun and getting faster. So uh, what's going on in your life? You're just getting ready for this next round? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, uh, just trying to get everything prepped. I got to bring a bunch of parts with me. <laughs> like I was saying, I got to swap that radiator. So yeah, I fly out, um, what was it tomorrow night, I guess at this point. Um, and then I got to, uh, I've been trying to, uh, clean up, you know, as most motorcycle people, you probably have way too much motorcycle stuff. <laughs> uh, it's just kind of how it happens. So, uh, right now I'm actually trying to like go through all of my, um, my used stuff and try to sell it all off. And then I'm also selling uh, one of my bikes. So I have a, a Kramer, okay. if you've seen those, um, which is just like a bespoke kind of whatever. So I don't know. I got to figure out how to sell it. It's so hard to sell because it's such a fun bike. I'm just like, oh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got to figure that all out. But yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean, I'm not doing a whole lot. I've just been traveling so much though. I actually, uh, in the middle of the season, I just moved from, uh, the New Jersey area, uh, back to the West coast, which is where I'm from. So I'm kind of just floating, floating in like Northern California, staying with friends, family, whatever, until the race season's over just cause it's like constant travel, um, yeah. for, for racing. Uh, but we'll see. Um, I was actually looking last night, uh, it's actually cheaper for me to temporarily live in Italy <laughs> for three months than it is to try and find like housing in California, which I find absolutely absurd. You should definitely uh, do that. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely contemplating. I mean, it's just like, you know, you can go there for three months or whatever without a visa. 
And I was just like, what am I doing? Like I can save money. I can literally travel to Italy, live in Italy and save money, which makes no sense. Um, Would you like so rent might... an apartment over there? How would that yeah. work? Yeah. So like uh, the easiest way to do it, that's like the most accessible is to go through Airbnb and just get like an apartment in, you know, um, maybe like, you know, pick your pick. I mean, for me, I might go to Milan or something like that. You know, hey, you get bored after a month, <laughs> you go to you go to another city, right? Um, but I, I was, um, I'm talking to uh, a, a couple of my friends in Italy to see like what racing there is though too, because I'd like to ride. My goal this off season is to ride a lot. Um, so I'm going to see if there's any real riding in the off season and then that'll kind of dictate my decision because uh, like I got to train like at the end of the day like if I want next season to be successful I need to focus on training I can't just go like do nothing <laughs> for three months you know what I mean or just like work and hang out for sure. um, but uh, but yeah so Airbnb you know it's it's averages for apartments are like a thousand dollars a month which is crazy for like <laughs> a one bed or two bed I mean at least like where I've typically lived um, I know there's other places in the U.S. where you can get cheaper um, but yeah so I've been looking at that and uh yeah, otherwise it's 100% focused on just like trying to get everything set up for the rest of the season right now. And do you speak Italian? No, <laughs> no not at all. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't speak any Italian, which makes it that much more fun. Um, but, you know, you you pick up a little bit here and there and maybe I'll learn a little bit. Uh, languages have never been my strong suit, though. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. It should yeah. be fine. Yeah, it should be interesting. As long as you can uh, find how to get some wine and where's the bathroom, that's all you need. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's it. That's all you need, right? Uh, yeah, that's too funny. Have you ever been over to Italy or anything like that? No, ride, I've been or... uh, been to Canada a bunch of times. I have family in Canada, okay. but uh, that's only a few hours away, so it doesn't feel like it's a different country. I've been there a bunch of different times. Um, they just have a lot of coffee shops and like hockey a lot. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds it just sounds a little different than here. Yeah. Slight uh slight accent, but um yeah, it's uh pretty close. Um I'd love to be traveling some more uh to other countries. I actually just got to renew my uh my passport. I took new photos for it not long ago. Just got to send it oh, in yeah. and uh fill out the form and all that stuff. But yeah, it's uh it's on my list. Actually, one of my friends is in Italy right now going through Venice. Oh, really? And uh that's the town with uh, all the water everywhere. Um, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. They're going through on like a, um, a a boat, one of those small boats, and they're being pushed along by the gondola man. Is it? Yep. So yeah, I think so. It's an iconic <laughs> place to be, and I'd love to love to see that see the history. You know, America is so so new. Uh, that history has been around yeah. there for thousands of years. We have like antique stores. Like, yeah, it's 20 years old. It's old. Like, it's not really yeah. that old. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. Like, even uh, even the West Coast or the East Coast, like the West Coast, most of the stuff is like recently developed, like you're saying. But compare that to like some of the first cities like Boston. Boston is seems ancient. But then compared to like, you know, obviously, like you're saying, it's totally different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've never been to Italy, so I have no idea. So we'll we'll see. It's I've never had the opportunity to travel, you know, because it's like you're stuck at a job or you're stuck at whatever. Like right now I work remote, so it's like, oh, I can live anywhere. Okay, cool. This is great. Really changes your whole lifestyle. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, I just got to figure out how to consistently travel with a dog, though. That's the only thing. A little difficult That's what to... Makes it uh... tough. 
I mean, you can make them your what is it? Your spirit animal? That's not it. Um, <laughs> yeah, my spirit animal. <laughs> make them your uh, service dog. That's what I meant to say. Oh yeah, a service yeah. animal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he actually um he kind of is uh at this point um you know he's he's uh he's like one of those uh dogs that's just like super friendly um but like just like you know he's missing all his teeth so his tongue always hangs out like he's just like a old he's an old man is what i call him he's an old man he just kind of sleeps and does whatever so uh do you bring him to the track uh he does not come to the track with me um so he actually has uh separation anxiety so it makes it really hard to deal with him at the track because as soon as I leave to go on track, he's freaking out. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's, so it's just like there's one time where uh, I did a track day with him. And every time I go out on track, he would like try to get into something. He actually made his way into a like a metal, um, you know, kind of like those like uh, disposable metal kind of tins or whatever that had a bunch of cinnamon rolls in it. He like pierced the top of it with his fangs and like ripped it open and got into cinnamon rolls and ate a bunch of cashews and stuff. Oh no. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, this is such a nightmare. So he got sick, obviously. He was fine, but you know, it's just like he's just too much of a handful <laughs> to deal with. Like I need to actually have one person in my crew dedicated to just taking care of my dog. <laughs> yeah. So it's a he, full-time he job. Up, yeah, it really is. Um, but he's he's good otherwise. But yeah, so he goes, he's he he never comes to the track with me anymore because it's just too much yeah so. and uh, what kind of dog uh so he's like a dachshund terrier mix so he's like a little dog he's like 11 12 pounds um long nose you know long tail uh all black okay but he's like uh going gray because he's an old man you yeah. know uh, he's like he's a uh, what is he he's like 15 now so he's getting up there sure um and they just got his two like fangs in front and then no teeth so he's just uh he's a funny looking little dog, but he's yeah. uh he's a good dog. So So it's nice to have a companion. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Makes a world of a difference, I'd say. For sure. Um so are you how are you training now for uh all these different motorcycle rounds you're going to? Are you doing a lot of fitness in the gym, on the bicycle, or just a lot of uh on the motorcycle training? Uh so I have been mainly doing um like kind of like uh gym training is what i would call it uh, i've been working with a personal trainer since the start of this year because i, I kind of realized like for me the limiting factor in, in my success is going to be fitness right like if you can't ride the same way for the entire race then you're not going to get better because <laughs> uh, you'll start making mistakes i mean i've literally been behind people in races who i can tell are getting fatigued and then make mistakes and then crash because it's like the pace is so much higher, right? Like the pace is so much higher, but yeah. So I've been, I've been working with a personal trainer, uh, three times a week. Um, I'm trying to get a dietitian um, that won't cost an exorbitant amount of money to try and like bring in the, uh, food and, and figure out what makes sense there. Cause it's, you know, you can only work out so much until like, you really need to adjust what you're eating to like get better results. Um, but yeah, so I've been doing that since the start of the year. Um, I don't get as much of an opportunity for like seat time. It's kind of tough right now because I'm like in transition and moving. I've been fortunate to get into like uh, a handful of weekends. Like I was able to do that, um, that we're uh, weekend, I believe, or before at Pitt, the week, week before. 
um, and then a couple other places. But yeah, once the off season hits, it's going to be like three three days a week riding. Um, the goal is to go down to like Southern California. I mean, obviously we talked about Italy, but uh, move to Southern California and then um, ride mini bikes and like uh, dirt bikes, which I've never ridden dirt bikes um, like three times a week just to like learn as much as I can, be as fit as I can on in addition to working out three times a week. So we'll, we'll see. I'm really trying to push as hard as I can. Like I'm at this point where I feel like I'm still young enough that I can like still be fairly competitive. And, you know, I'd, I'd say I'll probably only have a handful of more of years before like I, the natural way of the world kind of goes is I just start to not be able to do everything I can, but we'll see. We'll see how long I can maintain it for. So. You still look like a young guy, but how old? <laughs> Oh, uh, you know, I'm like 22, you know, okay. no, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I, I'm 29, but um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm still fairly young. Um, I'm fortunate I can do it at this, this age. Um, it's just, a, it's a financial commitment. It's so much money. It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. It's like fine. I always thought it was like trying to fund a NASA project. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, if we stop racing altogether, we probably could have flown multiple missions to the moon at this point. <laughs> yeah. It's um. It's a lot. So you have uh, other people helping you out, sponsors or companies uh, in your corner. Yeah. So um, this year has been pretty good. Um, I get a, a good amount of help from um, uh, a lot of like New England places. So Woodcraft, um, uh, Seacoast Sport Cycle, uh, who are there like an Aprilia dealer. Um, who And they actually, they're the ones that built my bike, uh, which is cool. Um, I get a lot of help from uh, like this year, I got a lot of help from like innovation uh, <clears throat> and uh, like uh, REB graphics and stuff that did a lot of the graphics work, which is great, um, which is Reese Briotti. Um, and then we get a handful of sponsorships through like my team, RSP Racing, which uh, we've been working with um, like Tony's Track Days. I don't know if you've heard of them. They do a lot of like stuff in New England. They're really, really awesome. Um, really, really cool people. But yeah, there's a lot of people. And then um, Superbike Supply is another one. I'm trying to think everything that's on there. <laughs> it's a list. Uh, and then, yeah, it's a huge list. And then I've been getting a ton of help from uh, um, Optimum Performance, which they're uh, a like tuner and Aprilia dealer on the West Coast. And they've been like awesome. Uh, like really, really awesome with helping me with the bike and stuff and, and a bunch of other stuff. Like I'd say it'd be an integral at this point <laughs> to any success I've had. So um, yeah, there's been a lot of help um, next year. I, I really do. I think one of the biggest things though, is it's, it's one, I mean, and you pray, you understand this hundred percent too, which is like, it's one thing to get discounts on everything, but the other day it still costs money to go and race and all these things. So uh, one of the things I really need to spend a lot of time on is, um, figuring out like uh, better ways to get more like cash sponsorship um, you know, whether that's through social media or whatever else it is, but it's definitely uh, probably one of the harder things to get. And it's also super uncomfortable to ask for, you know, like, I don't know about you, but I've always been like, Oh, I can do it myself. Like, Oh no, it's okay. I like, I don't need help, you know, but then it's like, you get to a point and you're like, crap, I can't do any of this on my own. And there's yeah. no way I can like fund this like realistically at this level. Right. It's like, I've always Results. thought that the hardest part of racing is just funding it uh, because I'm a great racer. I just, the only reason I'm not out there banging bars with you is because I couldn't find <laughs> enough funding to do it. So um, 
that's why I'm talking right now and helping, ho- hoping that I can grow an audience that's big enough that Coca-Cola wants to sponsor me or, you know, insert Perfect. corporation X wants to sponsor me. Um, because that's what I'm really going for. And I just found this new, um, there's a woman who's talking about why your marketing deck sucks and what you need to do to make it better. And then mm. she's having like webinars and all kinds of stuff. And I'm going to watch it. I'm going to look into that. And it's like, she gives you a whole bunch of information for free. Maybe she sells a book, like an e-course or something like that. And uh, and I'm just saying to myself, I just um, just the other day, I need to go out to like construction companies, like um, huge equipment manufacturers, corporations anyone national chains like think kyle wyman and panera bread like yeah um major corporations who has hundreds of millions of dollars and is already sponsoring companies get your deck together get your marketing and advertising you know words in order and go out with a suit and tie to each company um with you know spiral bound sponsorship decks and hand them out to the executives and get a meeting with them in person. I mean, that's really how you're going to do it unless you hire a manager to do it for you. That's what he's going to do. Or he already has those contacts. Yeah. Cause it's like motorcycle racing is so awesome to watch. And it's um, so visual. Um, I think it's more interesting than car racing. So oh, but, I agree. But car racing, like a, a NASCAR engine costs as much as my entire season. Yeah. Like, so it's so much cheaper for the sponsors and yeah. it's a growing sport. And really what we provide is marketing and advertising because the show doesn't get better if the riders aren't riding. If there's only 10 people in it, no one cares. But the more people yeah. do it, the better the show gets and the higher the competition level gets. And we have people from, I don't know, dozens of countries that uh, participate or have participated in Moto America already. And yeah. and classes like Wera even. So uh, it's just cool to uh, be able to provide that marketing value. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it, that could even be better if we were doing uh, broadcasting for a club level too, because then yeah. it's like, a, you know, obviously if it gets viewership and stuff. But yeah, and, I mean, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just, uh, yeah, I mean, the I was going to say like the Twins Cup. Holy crap. This year has been insane. I think there's been every almost every round there's been more people trying to qualify than there are spots on the grid and like the top 10 are all within like a second or two of each other like it's insane this year is so competitive and i would love to invite that and get more and more you know yeah and uh i love that uh there's purses for certain races and for certain classes and daytona is like a hundred and seventy five thousand dollar purse so that brings out people from the woodwork i mean if yeah. there's an opportunity to make money racing motorcycles, I'm going to be there, you know? And, and right oh, now yeah. it's not quite there yet. Like I just no. saw the PGA release something about their golfers, uh, pro golfing association. Uh, they said their minimum payment for their top tier players is like a half a million dollars. Um, if they do this series, you get a half a million dollars and that's, in addition just to, to show up, yeah, that's that's your base salary, minimum salary, just to show up, and that's in addition to all of the purses for each round. Yeah, and so there is nothing like that in Moto America that I know of. Now, if you do, if you pre-register, I understand. If you pre-register for the whole season, you're a season entry um, type 
type of rider instead of an individual rider. So you get discounts on on all of your your entries from doing it season wide, and you do get as long as you complete practice qualifying and the races, all the sessions for the event, you do get um, some kickback, some some money from that. So it's it's a small amount. It's not really a salary, um, but it, it's it, they're getting it's there. It's a discount. <laughs> it's a discount, you know. So it's like it yeah. helps out, but it's not a half a million dollars. I'm not asking for a half a million dollars no. here. I'm like, can I at least pay my rent and buy food, please? Like, I don't ha- live a luxurious life. I just like to ride motorcycles. Yeah, I mean, I I think it would be cool if they did that. Especially, I mean, I don't know logistically what it takes to run Moto America, but even if we if they brought in like if we could somehow bring in like class sponsors or something like that or some other way to provide more money for the classes because i mean even twins cup like you know if, if you're if you're getting first place every race which is just not going to happen like you're getting twenty five hundred dollars you know maybe five grand for a double event which is only a handful of them i mean that doesn't even pay like that tires. Pays your t- yeah it pays your tire bill <laughs> yeah. maybe right like you're like oh cool but um yeah and like the manufacturer, I, actually, one thing I was surprised to see is like Aprilia doesn't have any contingency. Like Aprilia is just like, uh, you know, whatever. But then like KTM and stuff, it's like they have great stuff, but there's nothing that works for the Twins Cup. So you're uh. like, oh. <laughs> um, and then Yamaha has some good stuff too. But I mean, even the manufacturers kind of stepping up and providing support too, I think is is key for it to all making sense. But yeah, I would love to see like, yeah, heck yeah, it'd be sick. If I could break even, I'd be happy. Even if it cost me half of what it cost me, <laughs> I'd still be happy, you know? I think there'd be um, a lot more entries and that even brings up the competition higher because there might be 45 people who show up to try to qualify. And I don't know, it might differ on each racetrack how many people that actually allow to race. Oh yeah, 100%. I mean, even, well, yeah, I know there's limits to how many people they can have on track at once or whatever, or like racing. Um. But like even you look at motocross or like any kind of trials stuff, it's so accessible because it's so inexpensive. Competition's insane. Like I've never raced any of that stuff, but just from my friends and uh, that I've that I know that do race, you know, like they, they're fast expert riders, but then they're like middle of the road dirt bike riders. You know, yeah. <laughs> like they're like uh, not even in the top classes because it's so fierce. Like competition's so crazy fierce. Um, but yeah, I would I would like to see the the sport grow more, and I really think making the higher levels of racing more accessible, like not just making the amateur level be where you're at forever, right? Like you should be able to, it should be feasible for people to be able to do these things without making an exorbitant amount of money, you know, or like sacrificing everything in their life. <laughs> like, I, know I mean, people... I know we all do, but yeah. Yeah, I know people who have literally sold their house to go race motorcycles. And that's where the term, you know, bet the farm, bet bet your house comes from because they would sell their house or remortgage yeah. it or refinance it. And then hopefully they have the down payment to put it back, you know, and, and uh, take over the title again. Yeah. 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 Actually, uh, this year I, I uh, traded by, I could have bought a house and I traded to buy a house to race. I was like, you know what? I'll regret this for the rest of my life if I don't try and do this. So yeah, yeah I, I totally get that. And you could, uh, I mean, it is a career as far as like, if you get enough sponsorship to continue doing it, yeah. that's, that's it. I mean, you got it. And uh, I mean, I think it was 
Josh Hayes, I want to say, didn't start racing motorcycles till he was like 26 or 28 years old, something in there. So, and look at him. He's a four, five-time superbike champ, whatever it is. I mean, one of the most winningest racers in the history of American motorcycle racing. And uh, it's just amazing. You don't have to be starting at two years old as a baby uh, to be a successful professional. You just have to find out, you know, how to get there, how to afford it, and how to stay in it. Yeah, the sustainability. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, so I got I got some work to do there. <laughs> I, I what I would love to do is uh, love to figure out how to do like test riding and stuff. Um, I find that to be super fascinating. Like one of the biggest things I've been learning this year is suspension and like what you do to chase things out, right? Like knowing what the bike's actually doing and knowing how to fix it by making small iteration suspension because my suspension was just nowhere near what it needed to be at the start of the season. So I had to develop it. Um, but yeah, test riding would be so cool to do. I feel like that would be a good opportunity to be able to like ride a lot and then ride a lot of different stuff while being able to race too. I feel like that would be a good way to support it. Yeah. Um, I would just start reaching out to race teams, like uh, find contacts of 50 race teams, send them your resume and yeah. ask them just that. Can I be a part of your team in any way? Do you need help? I can do this, 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 you know, um, what do you need? I'm at your service. Heck yeah. I mean, that's how else you're going to find it is just contacting people and networking and a um, little bit of spray and pray, see who responds. You're going to get <laughs> 15 people, not even open your email. You're going to get 10 of them say, maybe yeah. you're going to one person who's like, why'd you even send me this? This is spam. You know, you're going to get the whole gamut if you, if you do it that way. But um, like I've gotten a few jobs from finding an email address, sending out my resume and saying, hey, I'm looking to do this. Uh, do you have any openings? They weren't even hiring. There was no job application to fill out. I just sent them a resume and said, this is what I'm doing. Can I help? I'd like to work for you. And they said a couple of times, a couple of different companies, yes. Like it, it works. It, it's possible even if they're not hiring. They're always looking for good people. Yeah. Or they 100%. might say, uh, we don't really have anything now. And then a couple of months later, you get an email and say, hey, we have this opportunity. Would you like to do that? Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. I think that works out pretty good. Um, it's definitely uh, the fear of rejection, I feel like, is tough for some people. Like, yeah. to, you know, to send it, to put any amount of effort into sending things off to people and then just having like no response or whatever. It's like, you really got to get over that. It's such a hard thing to get over, I feel like, sometimes, though. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're looking for sponsorship, you're going to get uh, a thousand <laughs> no's and maybe three yeses and, like, a couple of maybes sure. and like uh, a few definitely's, but you never got the check for it, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's all over the place. And, like, me asking people to do this podcast, there's people I'm sure I've annoyed by asking them. And so I try to ask them one time, and then I don't, I don't ask again. Uh, I try to because I don't want to be annoying people, but sometimes they genuinely forget and they're like, oh, yeah, I really did want to do that. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's hard sometimes. But um, yeah, even with this, you ask a thousand people, you only get a small percentage say yes. Um, it's all over the place. Yeah. I, I mean, I think this stuff is really cool, though, too. I mean, I it's it's too bad I'm moving. I, I've got a whole like camera set up and mic set up and all, all the stuff I, I wanted to set it up, but I just kind of like ran out of time to, to do that. But I love this stuff. I think it's, I think it's interesting. And I mean, I love that. I mean, you, you said you're at like what 120 something or 110 something like, I mean, yeah. that's dude, that takes so much effort to like, not only, I feel like 
to edit them, to do any corrections to whatever, like, yeah, it's a huge undertaking. I think it's insane. It's that you've gotten made it over a hundred. Like that's how long have you been doing this again? Uh, a couple of years. I started two, over two years ago. I think I, did, I recorded the first one in February and then I didn't publish it until May. So like, okay. I, I didn't even know how to edit it. When I first shot it, I didn't have any really? editing program. I just, I'm using a free one still, DaVinci Resolve. It's awesome. Yeah. It does everything I need. And yeah, it's just, I didn't know how to, how to do anything when I started. And you just like, okay, this is what I want to do. Now, how do I do it? <laughs> That's and, awesome. Uh, I mean, I can do a bit of editing, but as if you've watched any of them before, it's not super edited. It, I only will probably take out the part where the connection dropped for t t 10 seconds. You know, yeah. I leave just about every stutter and curse word and um, I leave it all because it's just raw. It's who we are. We're not trying to be anybody. We're not. And I think people like that. Um, I'm just, uh, I think this could be a career too. You know, I'll never be like a Joe Rogan. I'm not delusional, but like, hey, you never know. <laughs> I've heard him say that, and this was probably a year or two ago, that he was making like $75,000 in ad revenue per episode. That's crazy. Aside from the company he has and the products that they sell, you know, um, and aside from the sponsorship deals that he gets and the exclusive rights from Spotify, it's like there are 17 ways to make money from a podcast. It's it's wild. And uh, I've actually started to make money from YouTube monetizing the ads. Um, and so oh, really? that's one way to make money. Some months I'd be making, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 dollars in ad revenue. If you get a couple yeah. thousand views on a video, it's like, I'm starting to make money. I mean, it's not positive yet. I've you know bought a microphone and nah. interface and laptop and, a t and this table and what, you know, just basic stuff like tripods and lighting booms and whatever. But, you know, at some point, yeah, if I have a million followers, uh, I will be making a couple thousand dollars or a couple hundred dollars, you know, every week or every month. And it's like a, it could be a revenue stream and it's starting to be. I think uh, you have to hit $100 to get your first payment. So I haven't got my first payment yet, but it's like I can see it trickling up, upwards. There. Yeah. And uh, something else I've been asking all the guests um, when they fill out my little questionnaire, it's optional, completely optional. But I ask them, would you like to spend money to help promote the episode? And then what I do is I go on different websites and buy ads myself to promote the episode so that's also a way to help you know boost the reach and get even more views and that gives me ad revenue from doing that from boosting it um yeah so it's like this continuous cycle and i really want to start getting businesses and companies i'll, I'll do ad ad reads uh you know do an ad for them 15 30 seconds a minute however long they want to to uh to pay for and so it's like that's a extension of sponsorship. You know, I could reach out to yeah. those companies who sponsor me and maybe they want to sponsor the podcast and the racing. So it's like you hit them with both sides. So just trying to, you know, put myself out there for the purpose of selling products for my business, but also for all these different things. It's like, um, it could be really interesting and I'm learning so much. And now I might have a contact for maybe going down this film route with uh filming amateur racing and uh you know just networking yeah. with people i've become a coach from talking to people and uh like man i should do that 
and just how often do you sit down with somebody for an hour without looking at your phone and just talk to them? Oh yeah. It's like, it's so rare these days. Most people, you just say, Oh, Hey, hello. Okay. Bye. <laughs> or yeah, you're, it's, it's hard to have like good conversations. I feel like. 100%. And, uh, yeah. Just trying to uh, make money any way that I can. So I'm always looking for opportunities, have gear, we'll travel for race podiums, food and money. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, hundred percent. Actually, even uh, what is it? One of the things that was coming up as being a potential is uh, uh, have you ever have you looked at KTM's contingency? No, before? I haven't. Uh, is it good? Oh, it's really good. Uh, it's like I think it pays like, uh, is it top five that it pays? I can't. I think it's. I mean, but it pays like five hundred bucks for a win. Oh wow. Um, like it pays. It actually pays pretty well for. And I think that I think if I recall, it's any class. So literally, if you have a KTM that's whatever within two years, uh, any race you do qualifies for contingency. And if I recall, it's like literally almost all the race organizations as well. So the new 390 that came out is like pretty competitive. Um, so you could just get like a 390. Okay. Like e even uh, some of my teammates were running uh, 790 Dukes and then they were doing uh, the contingency stuff. And I mean, you know, we're not talking about like a small amount of money, like over the course of the season, even if you're doing a handful of like, you can actually pay for your weekend and then make like a thousand dollars if you win yeah. a lot, even if you got second, right? <laughs> like you, you can pay, you can get paid, you know, obviously it's a pretty big upfront cost to go get a brand new 390 and then build it. Um, but like, you know, if you're doing pretty well, you could travel around and make some decent money doing it. But, Heck yeah. And uh, that's what people say about, you know, going to Daytona, $25,000 purse for first place and a Rolex for qualifying or is that Rolex for the win? Um, I thought it was uh Rolex. I thought they did the watches for like the fastest qualifier fastest lap, or something. Yeah. yeah, I think so. So that's pretty it's cool still... purse. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, I wish I wish it was like that for I wish I wish uh, I wish they did that for the classes in Moto America. Well, uh, Superbike classes pays out pretty well. I think it's near that. But then you also have to be, you know, a top guy in the whole country uh, to get. That. Yeah, that's also like their race programs are vastly different than the Twins. <laughs> Cup. And so, yeah. I mean, they're, like they're they're like minimum budgets are like 300K or something like that or 250K, like minimum, I'd say. Uh, yeah, I don't think lot. you could, I don't think you could do it for less than that. Cause like the bike builds alone are probably 150 grand, right. For super yeah. bike, you know, at least, I mean, I'm sure there's ways to get around it. You know, the right people, you can get stuff that's maybe a little older or whatever, but if you're just going to go out and wing it, it's not going to be cheap for super bike. But yeah, I mean, you don't have uh, multiple semi trucks. Oh yeah, no, I do. Just like, uh, yeah, it's, uh, we all get them straight from the government, um, you know, with a, a race program sponsorship thing, you know? Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> God, no. I can't you know, even, there's, I mean, uh, there's other countries that, um, get government support for, for racing. Cause they want to promote this as a national thing. I've, I've heard this uh, as a thing. They, uh, like maybe Spain or Italy, like, um, they, or some European must. country probably that, yeah. Um, it's such a national pastime that they help they help them out wow if only if only we could get that to happen here that would be so cool a racing um, subsidy yeah 
<laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, subsidize it. I mean, hey, I, I actually, what I would really like to see is um, uh, electric motorcycles becoming more ma mainstream. I think once they the, the battery technology is like so close, it's just so close. It just needs to get a little bit better. Um, but I would love to see that subsidized because I, I think like if you're racing electric motorcycles, it gives you a really good opportunity to do the development with them. Um, I mean, you see them in like the world level already at Moto E and stuff. But I think if if we introduce if if we encourage that at the club level and even you know at Moto America and stuff, um, and provide a platform for them, I feel like it could be pretty pretty beneficial overall. You know, oh, yeah. I'd happily hop on an e bike to race it if it it's was. It's the future. <laughs> it's the future, right? Yeah. Or even like a hybrid and stuff, like with like more like fuels that are more catered towards um, like carbon neutral fuels and stuff, or even like hydrogen. But I don't know that kind of I feel like that'd be kind of scary because hydrogen's not the best fuel to store. Uh, crash. like crashes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, crashes would probably be pretty spectacular. But yeah. Um, Nonetheless, I think it would be cool to promote stuff like that and then get the government involved like through means like that. But I mean, again, who's going to it's it's a heavy lift, I'd say. There's but money out cool. there. You just got to make a compelling enough argument. <laughs> yeah, that's I guess that's all it comes down to, huh? Yep. And uh, convincing the right person who signs a checkbook. It's possible. Yeah. It's yeah. not probable, but it's it's definitely it could happen. Yeah, it could. <laughs> Maybe in the next 10 years. We'll see. I'd love to see uh, Moto E in uh, Moto America. I think that would be cool. Um, yeah. I mean, if they have hooligans and baggers and, and twins, I think there's a place for Moto E. But, I mean, then you have to purchase a fleet of electric bikes and uh, the power grid to do it and back it up. And uh, Yeah, I, that's true. I was thinking of doing a track day with the Tesla. But I'm like, I don't think they have any charging ports at the racetrack at the local, the local track, you know, by my house, there's not Tesla charging ports at the racetrack. So like I'll be doing one and a half sessions and then my car will die or something. I don't know how long the battery is, but I don't think it'll last a full track day. No, not, not at pace, especially as you deplete them at like full kick kilt. Uh, they tend to get hot and uh, they start to degrade in performance. But yeah, I mean, the, that that portion is definitely you know you can you can charge them if you have gen generators that are putting out you know the right right voltage and stuff um so that's it's not but then it, it kind of defeats the whole concept too right if you're running a freaking <laughs> diesel or gas generator to like power you know it's racing i get it but you know at some degree it'd be it'd be nice to like follow the whole chain down but <laughs> yeah that's a big problem right now with Yes, they might be electric, but they're still burning, you know, all these other natural resources and coal and, you know, whatever else. It's even if you're using an electric vehicle, the view, the electricity that was produced to put it in, in your car in the first place was uh, not always produced by renewable sources. Oh, yeah. No, not at all. I feel like we're on a good path to that. Like even, even like with uh, everything that's going on overseas, which is just a total nightmare. But like with some of these countries having to like figure out what they're going to do for energy sources because they're not going to be getting oil or anything uh, is it sucks. But it's also a really fast way to like change and move over to renewable sources quickly. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I think realistically, like energy probably won't be the biggest problem. 
in uh, the coming times. But well, I guess you know we'll just have to kind of see how that goes. So, for sure, it's a changing of the times. It's uh, I almost don't want to watch the. I don't watch the news, but even look at the news and Google news on my phone, because every time you do, it's like three people shot, 17 people stabbed. I'm like, everything's about death and murder and forest fires in California. I'm like, Jesus, this is not even worth my time looking at anymore. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like at the end of the day, it's like a lot of news outlets are viewership based, right? Like if you're not getting viewers, you have to, you don't have to, but they choose to be shock and awe and like, sensational whatever you know i feel like it's how they make their money so they're at the end of the day everyone chases no matter how hard you try not to <laughs> everyone chases money in some respect right even if because it presents opportunities and i don't know i feel like yeah the news outlets are just yeah i can't watch them i i mean it's you know i try to whatever try to get news from where i can but yeah it's yeah, and again too like you don't even know half the time if it's been spun or whatever I, it's hard to get just facts these days i'd say like just yeah. what it's, actually happened it seems like uh the news and journalists not all of them and generalizing but they it seems like that whole industry has failed us it's like this i can't even trust what you're saying anymore i, I don't even want to listen to what you're saying i'd rather get my information from friends and family and people i know like hey what's going on in the world just ask them and i'm sure you can find out most of the things in 10 minutes Oh, yeah. I mean, and even then, then that presents their own problems, right? Which is like, well, where did they get their information? You know, <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's it's definitely like a sourcing thing, right? It's just like finding the like actual information on what happened. Or like the other thing, too, is like even having the time to get that, right? Like I'm not going to go spend two hours watching some political thing. Like I'm not. I want a summary of it. But, you know, it's like who made that summary or whatever else, you know? <laughs> Yeah. But at the end of the day, I, all I care about is motorcycles, ride motorcycles right now and, you know, trying to do what I can out, outside of that. But I, I would just like to see like a little bit more development in that space for, you know, making our sport more sustainable. Right. I mean, we do our we are we do consume a lot when we do it. But it, at the same time, I mean, it's nothing compared to, you know, commuting in a car, for instance. Right. Like, again, we're only riding for an hour and a half total you know so it's a little different but yeah it, it would be it would definitely be interesting to see like some more electric stuff come out and something like that would be cool i think it'll allow for a lot of uh new venues that don't have sound restrictions because it's way quieter you could yeah. be potentially racing in your backyard if you had a paved track or whatever um and your neighbors would just hear a whooshing uh like a whizzing it, it's not nothing loud like an exhaust or a harley um a sound and it's uh i think a lot more city racetracks and uh, backyard racetracks would become a real thing oh man you know how cool it would be if they did like uh oh they should oh my god i want to see this <laughs> so bad is if they did uh that's actually a super good point they should do like e-bike racing and then carve out a track on like city streets. I mean, obviously it's a huge liability, but you know, it's like, imagine like racing around San Francisco, like jumping up the hills or jumping down the hills and like doing crazy stuff like that. I mean, they already do it on bicycles. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just like a little bit faster. Just do it a little faster. It'd be like uh, the Northwest 200 races, the the Irish road races. And so for a while, I, I thought that would be, the path to go down too, because you're 
you're bringing motorcycle racing where the people are, right? You're yeah. you're not making them go four hours away to a racetrack. Um, no. you're you're bringing racing to the to the city. Um, and yes, I'm a huge proponent of that. But as I was talking to one of my friends about, it, he's like, if you if you do this, people are gonna die. Like it's just a fact. You know, if you have road races in a city for motorcycles, you're going to have a percentage that will die. Just like at the Isle of Man, just like at, you know, all these races, it's a higher percentage than a racetrack. It's it's a fact. So it's like, ah, uh, yeah, that's the, a good point. I mean, it would promote the sport, but it, more people would die. So it's like, what's what's the better thing? And so I just kind of dropped it. I was like, ah, oh, maybe I don't want to pursue that. But um, maybe if you had good runoff in the city, then it's okay. Yeah. So you have to just find the right location. Like maybe Belle Isle in Detroit would be good. There's They have IndyCar racing there. But when IndyCar comes, they put up tons of walls. So that track, that layout is not okay. Um, but uh, something, I mean, there's got to be a spot maybe close to the city or within uh, 100 miles of the city that would be a good location that has enough runoff. But uh, I would just not want to be whizzing past, uh, you know, the Renaissance building at 120 miles an hour. Yeah, probably not ideal. I, I Yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said about safety. I mean, the, the whole thing with safety is like, the only reason we need runoff is because we don't know how to slow things down enough in a short amount of time. I feel like if we adapt, like one of the biggest things, uh, we definitely need to adapt curbing, right? Like some some new safety equipment that, like even if it's a ramp, right? You don't want to hit a, a yay high <laughs> solid object in, in general, you know? And then you can, from there, it's like, you know, the airbag fences work really good, but I'm sure there's better ways to absorb energy, you know, than an airbag. Uh, that are wall. like yeah you know <laughs> just figure out how to create more space and then create safer space but yeah i mean it's also a huge problem right because there's trees and fire hydrants and all types of garbage that obviously doesn't can't move. remove yeah no so there's definitely some problems yeah i mean that would suck if people are dying i feel like if you make uh you know courses that are but then again it's like you got to make it compelling and exciting so if you slow things down does that make it less compelling and exciting? And sometimes it does. So, you know, I don't know. It's, I'm sure if, uh, if it was feasible, someone would have probably done it already, but, and I'm sure the city of San Francisco would be like, nah, you're, <laughs> we don't want that liability or that image, you know, either. Well, um, there's a couple of things there. So when formula one came to Miami, they actually moved entire like electrical poles and they rerouted wires and like major city infrastructure they're like nope we're formula one we're gonna move that pole we don't want it there uh that's where our racetrack goes <laughs> so if there's enough money you can convince anybody of anything and even entire cities to, to change their infrastructure um for, for your racetrack so some things can be moved but that costs a lot of money um it's just uh it's interesting, so, you know, to see how it's going to develop and how it's going to, you know, maybe be implemented or not. So what we'd have to do is uh, we'd have to propose it to NASCAR so that NASCAR <laughs> could bring the money in yep. and then we could use it when, because they're only going to use it for like one event, you know what I mean? Like and, two events. Yep. <laughs> um, or even, uh, man, how cool, have you, have you ever seen those, uh, what are those, the truck racing that they do with the jumps? Yeah, I've seen those. 
Oh my God. Can you imagine <laughs> those things just like flying around San Francisco, like just launching up the hills and stuff? I think that'd be the most psycho thing ever. That'd be wild. It'd be, so, it, it'd be insane to watch. I mean, <laughs> that stuff would be, I feel like that could, that would be an interesting, because like the thing is too, is it doesn't have to be some crazy course, right? Like even, what is it? The, uh, uh, I forget all the different configurations, but they run pretty short tracks over in Ireland. Like they run some, what is it? Like, it's not, I forget, but they like divvy out the, like the whole circuit. They have smaller ones that they'll run too, right? Configurations. Yeah. Yeah. They could do something like that. That'd be interesting. I have even thought, uh, man, if you, if you can get 30,000 people in a stadium, um, you could create some sort of racetrack. Now I know it's cement. You're going to have to, tear it down at the end of the event but uh like if you could figure out how to make a small racetrack maybe you're not even getting over 100 miles an hour but you're on sport bikes you're on the same classes let's just make a really tight track in a stadium um slower speeds maybe you're not even getting up to fourth or maybe fifth or sixth gear i don't know what you know depending on your gearing but uh it'd be interesting to see a really tight track in a stadium with lot with runoff you know not right up to the walls but have a decent amount of runoff and do it in a stadium. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. I mean, it's like uh, Supercross does really well, right? Because that's yeah. what Supercross does. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. I mean, even actually the other day I was watching, uh, okay, this is what I find so funny about like the UK and stuff. They broadcast everything and they're broadcasting <laughs> um, like mini bike races, like literal like 50cc mini bikes, but it's all like adults. Yeah. And they're just taking this so seriously. Like, <laughs> and the announcers are, and it's like, it literally looks like a Moto America production freaking, but mini bike race. Awesome. And it was actually the most interesting thing to watch. Cause like they're, you know, they crash, right? But like when you crash on a 50, <laughs> like you just like, you're like, you're like kicking your feet, trying to like, you know, push bike it and stuff. Um, but it's hilarious. And it was just like, you know, you could even, it doesn't have to be like crazy stuff like that. I think small time, like small bike racing is still really fun to watch and interesting as well. For sure. And then yeah. you get, you know, children and adults out there at the same time, riding the same kind of machinery. Yeah. Like this kid's he's faster than me. It's only cause he's 65 pounds lighter than me. Yeah. I was <laughs> going to say, I think they're, uh, they should, uh, you know, make it, a uh, what is it? Uh, that like balance everything by weight or just like separate the classes. Cause, uh, you know, you got no chance. Like when yeah. you got like, <laughs> six horsepower or even like 15 20 and someone weighs that much less than you you're just like see ya well uh i did a go-kart racing league and they actually had a over 200 and under 200 pounds because oh, really? your weights are so dramatic yeah you only have like what a couple horsepower on that cart so um it's it, your weight matters oh yeah 100 percent. yeah that's actually cool. Uh, I'm surprised that they did stuff like that. That's sick. Yeah. So uh, where can people find you online? Where are you out there on the internet? Yeah. So uh, the the best place to kind of to find me right now is on on Instagram, uh, which is uh, at Wesley, which is W-E-S-L-E-Y underscore uh, Lucky13. And that's uh, my, my kind of team name uh, for Moto America. Um, but that's best place to find me. Uh, I haven't really built out much social media stuff. Um, it's kind of tough, but yeah, that's a, that's a good place to kind of see what's going on and, and, uh, you know, where we're at in the season and and what we're kind of doing, just general stuff. So. Very good. Well, that's about an hour and 20 some minutes. So I'll wrap it up here, but, uh, thanks for talking to me and I'll see you at the next two rounds. Um, 
So good luck out there and keep an eye on at least one wheel unless you're jumping it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. All right. Thanks, Eric. Uh, appreciate it, man. It was good talking. All right. I'll be sure to get this posted and tag you and just uh, share it when it comes out. Cool. Sounds good, man. All right. Thanks. See you.